Welcome to today's edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to feature reports, I'll bring you a look at regional and national agricultural news. And the show starts with a look at California agricultural news. Early registration for the 2024 Crop Consultant Conference hosted by Progressive Crop Consultant Magazine and Western Region Certified Crop Advisors is now open. The popular event for certified crop advisors, pest control advisors, grower applicators, and industry professionals is the mainstay for all continuing education needs this year and will take place on September 25th and 26th at the Visalia Convention Center. Visit myaglife.com slash events for the early discounted rate of $275 per person, which includes the live conference, a trade show with 70-plus exhibits, first-class dining, entertainment, and a mixer. We'll see you there. If you have a water right and you haven't submitted your annual water use report, it isn't too late. Your reporting gives the state a more accurate picture of water use, and that data is an important tool for accurate enforcement and planning. If you have a California water right, you are required to submit a water use report to the State Water Resources Control Board each year. Reports for water year 2022 to 2023 are now due. The California Water Resources Control Board reports that as of February 6th, 42% of reports had not been submitted. You can submit your report online through the State Water Board's report management system. Reporting instructions are available on the Water Use Help Reporting page. That website is rms.waterboards.ca.gov. Last Wednesday, the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of California San Francisco Division approved a three-month extension to EPA's plan attempting to bring herbicide registration in compliance with the Endangered Species Act. The court modified a settlement reached last September when the agency had agreed to produce the document by May 30th of 2024. The new deadline is now August 30th of 2024. In an effort to protect endangered species and their critical habitats from herbicide exposure through spray drift and or runoff of soil erosion, the EPA plan would require agricultural herbicide users, namely farmers, to implement mitigation measures such as vegetative filter strips, grass waterways, and field borders. Herbicide users would need to achieve a minimum number of efficacy points with the EPA assigning one to three points to each option in its menu of mitigation measures. The number of points required would be varied based on herbicide and the field location. EPA released its draft herbicide strategy in July of 2023 and received more than 20,000 public comments on the plan. Currently, growers in San Bernardino and Riverside off-quarantine areas have the ability to conduct pre-harvest bait treatments or two post-harvest treatments, which include methyl bromide fumigation with a subsequent cold holding period or irradiation in order to move fresh citrus fruit from non-core areas of the quarantine to areas outside of the quarantine for packing or processing. However, due to the imminent harvest period, neither of these options are economically viable for citrus producers. Therefore, USDA has authorized a modification to provide relief to growers. This federal order establishes a new treatment approach under which fresh citrus fruit from non-core areas may enter domestic commerce outside of the quarantine using an alternative fumigation and subsequent cold treatment method. For clarity, this method is not applicable to fruit grown in a core area which is comprised of a half-mile radius surrounding the detection of an adult fruit fly or larvae. This modified approach applies only to the San Bernardino and Riverside off-quarantine for the 2024 harvest season. It does not permit international export of fresh citrus from this area unless the citrus meets existing export certification requirements 
for regulated articles from fruit fly quarantine areas. For more information on this order, log on to the APHIS website and to review a full list of the current harvest and crop management requirements in place for all other invasive fruit fly species and quarantines, log on to cafruitfly.com. Senator Marie Alvarado-Gill is looking to boost funding for local and state fairs. The Network of California Fairs is composed of district agricultural associations, which rely on horse racing licensing fees for funding. In response to a dwindling state budget, AB 1499 was passed in 2017, directing the governor's budget to allocate three-quarters of a percent of gross sales made on fairgrounds to the California Department of Food and Agriculture. It would then transfer the generated revenue to the Fairs and Exposition Fund. Alvarado-Gill introduced Senate Bill 1261 to increase funding for local and state fairs in California. She says by increasing a percentage of CDFA's budget that is allocated to fairs, Senate Bill 1261 would directly support the essential funding required for operational necessities and address critical issues like deferred maintenance and emergency preparedness within the fairs. Fairgrounds also provide a centralized location for the State Office of Emergency Services, ensuring safety during natural disasters and emergencies. By capping the cost of administering the allocation of these funds to fairs, Senate Bill 1261 would ensure those costs would not reduce the amount of sales tax revenue intended for the DAAs. California's fairgrounds operate year-round, and they are consistently called upon to assist federal, state, and local governments when disaster hits. Senate Bill 1261 would provide a stable funding source to ensure fairgrounds continue to serve first responders when communities need them the most. That according to Michelle Richards, chair of the California Fairs Alliance. The bill will now be referred to the Senate Agriculture Committee for review. A federal delegation touring flood damage sites throughout San Diego County announced that $1 million would be used to help agricultural producers recover from January 2024 flood-related damage. The Natural Resources Conservation Service in California is committed to assisting agricultural producers recover from these recent devastating rain events, and this initial $1 million investment will help to get farmers back to farming, according to NRCS California State Conservationist Carlos Suarez. The funding is being made available through NRCS's Environmental Quality Incentives Program. Furthermore, NRCS California reminds eligible sponsors that the Emergency Watershed Protection Program helps communities address watershed impairments or hazards such as debris removal and stream bank stabilization after major flood events. The U.S. delegation was hosted by the City of San Diego and the County of San Diego officials. The tour visited multiple sites near National City and then continued to see two agricultural operations that were damaged near the Tijuana River. Additionally, earlier this month, NRCS Chief Terry Cosby visited one tribal community and one flower nursery damaged by rain events in San Diego's North County. The EWP program is a recovery effort aimed at relieving imminent hazards to life and property caused by floods, fires, windstorms, and other natural disasters. All projects must have an eligible project sponsor. NRCS may bear up to 75% of eligible construction costs of emergency measures or 90% within countywide limited resource areas as identified by U.S. Census data. The remaining costs must come from local sources and can be in the form of cash or in-kind services. EWP is designed for installation of recovery measures to safeguard life and property as a result of natural disaster. The California Department of Food and Agriculture's Office of Farm to Fork is accepting applications for the 2023-24 California Farm to School Incubator Grant Program until 5 p.m., 
Pacific time on April 4th. The program will award competitive grants to support projects that cultivate equity, nurture students, build climate resilience, and create scalable and sustainable change. To support a systems approach to advancing farm to school throughout the state, the program offers four funding tracks. Number one is the California Farm to School TK to 12 Procurement and Education Grant. Track two is the California Farm to School Technical Assistance Grant. Track three is the California Farm to Early Care and Education Grant. And track four is the California Farm to School Producer Grant. For more information, visit the California Farm to School Incubator Grant Program webpage to view the formal request for applications, access the online portal through which applications must be submitted, and register for informational webinars. The California Budget Acts of 2021 and 2022 made appropriations for the 2023 to 24 California Farm to School Incubator Grant Program. CDFA will make a total of up to $52.8 million available via the four funding tracks. The amount of funds awarded in each funding track will depend on the number of competitive applications received in each funding track. Again, visit the California Farm to School Incubator Grant Program webpage for more information, and you can find that on the CDFA website. Nematodes negatively affect multiple annual and perennial crops, and this is especially true in California where the largest variety of these crops is grown. Thus, it's pertinent that most if not all growers in the state are aware of nematodes, how to manage them, and what is happening in the regulatory space that will affect this management. An upcoming nematology workshop at the Kearney Ag Research Center in Parlier looks to disseminate this information to growers, consultants, and more. Andreas Westfall, UC Riverside nematologist and endowed chair. In the nematology work group, UCNR work group, we got together some specialists who all work on nematode diseases, and we want to talk about these problems in annual crops, meaning vegetable crops, and also in perennial crops where these um, little round worms feed on plant roots and that way reduce the growth of plants. And so um, we are specialists, and so some of us focus more on the vegetable crops. Myself, I work a lot on tree crops, and so that way we try to put a program together where we will talk about the newest and management of these diseases, but also uh, about regulation that is currently impacting how we can manage nematodes. And uh, we want to also give people a chance to look at those critters in a lab session that we plan for right after lunch where people can look through a microscope and see these critters, what they do. We will see how they compare with, let's call it, other microbes in the soil and what they do to them. And some of them can also be beneficial for us. So some of you have perhaps heard about that. And we want to just give some examples on that. And to round it all off, we're going to go to the field and talk about some aspects that a grower or PCA or any other consultant should be aware of when they do sampling for nematodes to determine, oh, do I even have nematode problems? And so we just want people to come away from this workshop with a better understanding of nematodes and at the very least know what problem, what questions to ask and who to contact. As Westfall noted, regulations towards safeguarding chemical soil fumigation will be a topic of conversation at the workshop. The regulatory space affecting nematode management is currently volatile, so it's important to stay up to date. Especially in perennial crops where nematodes are deep in the soil, meaning at least five feet deep in the soil, we do need uh, some kind of action before we plant a new orchard because it's a huge investment. 
And for a number of decades, soil fumigation has been very effective in attaining the suppression of these critters in the soil. And now, um, well, the chemicals being used for that are not really friendly, I guess, because they are, after all, very poisonous and toxic to nematodes because they literally kill them. And so uh, regulatory agencies, for good reasons, are concerned about gassing off of these materials. And that's why new uh, regulatory guidelines have come into place that uh, require differences in the protocols how these materials are applied. And so some of them require higher soil moisture, deeper injection of the material, or covering with TIF tarp, which is um, a seal of the soil so that these materials cannot escape. But all of these will be more expensive and they will also be, um, well, most likely less effective if the soil has to be very wet at application because these move in gas form and if they can move, then they can also not reach the nematode and kill them. So that's um, the background for that. We have, since I started my job here at Kearney, since 2015, we have worked on alternatives to that. And it's a huge task to do that, to reduce nematode numbers in such a huge soil volume. It's, of course, also an issue for other crops, maybe for some root vegetables if you have them. Well, you don't want something to chew away in the roots if that's what you want to sell people. So there's a lot of concern, and uh, we all make try to make progress as good as we can in the different crops. And that's something very important, I think, to share with people so that they get a grasp for that. And also, we like to take things like that when we are on a research center, which currently, of course, is a very nice facility to do these kinds of things. Uh, we want people to understand a little bit why it takes so long before new options are out there and how we need to address it and how we come up with new solutions. So this regulation of talent is one of the things. The other one is the Sustainable Pest Management Roadmap that will require agriculture to cut way, way back on chemical use by 2050, 90% less chemicals and fumigants, which treats this huge volume of soil, are pretty high volume materials that are being used. So they are important in this process. And uh, so we are working really hard and trying um, or developing new methods that are cost effective and also effective. And because, of course, growers are in the business to make money. And so if a treatment is so hellishly expensive, so it may work fantastically. But if it's so expensive that no one can use it, it's kind of difficult to really promote it. So that's and that's something that we like to discuss. And I also like feedback, of course, on it. And um, because it is a long process to truly implement a new technique. Since nematodes affect most, if not all, crops grown throughout the state and reduce yield potentials, it's important to always be informed. That includes knowing the history of a field or orchard when planting. Tree crops, it's extremely important to, when you plan a new orchard or you plan to take an old one out, that you learn about what kind of nematode uh, species are present and what numbers and that you can make good decisions whether or not you need to do something against them. And if the crop that you were planning uh, is well suited for that particular area. So like walnut and almond, there's a lot of going back and forth. Pistachio is many times now that the walnut market is so depressed falling walnuts. Well, the nematodes uh, that are of concern in walnut and almond are also of concern in pistachio. We recently were able to show that. And so if you don't have any grasps of that, you would 
easily make some really big mistakes. And it's many times a lot of investment that goes, especially into new outlet planning or vineyards for that matter. So you do just have to stay abreast of stuff because there's always new stuff coming along. The workshop will again be taking place at the Kearney Ag Center in Parlier on March 26th, starting at 8 a.m. For My Ag Life, I'm Taylor Schallstrom. Clean Fuels Alliance America welcomed almost 850 attendees from over 20 countries to its Clean Fuels Conference in Fort Worth, Texas. It was a chance to connect with key players in a biodiesel, renewable diesel, and sustainable aviation fuel industries. The conference offered a setting to unite on the mission and vision that are so critical to their success. That according to Clean Fuels CEO Donnell Rehagen. As their industry continues to evolve, it'll be even more important to remain together and focused on the issues that move them forward. Companies and including BNSF Railway, Union Pacific, American Airlines, and PepsiCo took the stage to discuss sustainability goals and how clean fuels are moving the needle to reach them. OEM operators took attendees behind the scenes to explain how they are embracing the challenge of decarbonization and securing approvals to ensure liquid fuels continue to play a pivotal role in powering heavy-duty machinery. House Ag leaders, despite their continued warring, hinted at a recent hearing that there may still be a way to achieve an 11th hour breakthrough on the Farm Bill. Top Ag Democrat David Scott was suggesting a way forward for the Farm Bill without GOP proposed cuts to SNAP, which is a top Democratic priority. Because the economy has improved, benefits and need for the program has decreased. The CBO is now expecting SNAP to cost $67 billion less over the next decade than originally expected. A savings that if the Congressional Budget Office is correct and if Farm Bill negotiators can agree to use some of that for farm supports could pave the way towards ending a year-long stalemate. House Ag Chair G.T. Thompson perhaps also hinted at ways forward and may have even held out an olive branch to the other side. Considerable opportunities exist within our jurisdiction to not only fund the safety net, but fund a substantial number of shared bipartisan priorities. And I continue to implore my Democratic colleagues to think in earnest about these priorities, priorities that can be funded without cutting SNAP, a SNAP benefit or eliminating the important conservation programs that we've all come to appreciate. Thompson complained that Washington is filled with armchair pundits who say a new farm bill is impossible, that politics will prevail over good policy, and that dysfunction has consumed them. But Thompson insisted every negative comment only intensifies his commitment to the American farmer to get a farm bill done. For the last few years, federal economists have predicted a recession that has not yet come to fruition. That doesn't mean things have been easy for ag producers over that time. Robobank strategist Steve Nicholson says the key now is that there are still jobs available. Until we see a pullback in jobs created or the opportunities for jobs, it's very hard to go down a path of, of a recession. The Fed may have engineered the, the classic soft landing. That's, I think, yet to be seen. But it's remarkable how resilient the U.S. economy has been. The Fed, Nicholson says, will likely continue to play it down. So I think they're going to be reluctant because of both political pressure to move rates up to say that they put their thumb on the scale, but at the same time take them down too much, put their thumb on the scale. I think they're going to have try to have a fairly quiet year because 
we all know that politicians will criticize them or praise them depending on what actions they take and how that fits into their political narrative. When it comes to the Farm Bill, Nicholson says economic worries and the fact that this is an election year just pile on more challenges. One, you have a Congress that's not focused on anything and a Congress that's not functioning very well. You know, they've got budget deadlines coming up and USDA is on that first list of agencies that would get shut down. So that's not a good thing. And, oh yeah, it's an election year for them. And I think it's it's a coin toss that we could get it. Robba Banks, Steve Nicholson. U.S. farm income is forecasted down for this year. USA economist Carrie Likowski. Net cash farm income for calendar year 2024 is forecast at $121.7 billion. That's about a 24% decrease from 2023 in nominal dollars. Net farm income is forecast at $116.1 billion or about a 25 or 26% decline from 2023. Likowski outlines factors behind the declining farm income. There are multiple factors that are contributing to this expectation for lower income in 2024. First, cash receipts for both crop and animal products are forecast to decline about $21 billion in 2024. Also, direct government payments are forecast to decrease almost $2 billion. And total production expenses are forecast to increase $16.7 billion, or almost 4%. How will this affect farm businesses? Through a simulation, we can look at how the sector forecast might affect farm businesses on average. So we are forecasting average net cash farm income for farm businesses to decrease 27% following the sector forecast for lower cash income to about $72,000 in 2024. On a positive note, the farm sector balance sheet remains relatively strong with farm sector assets, debt, and equity each forecast to increase in 2024 with equity forecast to increase about 5%. USDA economist Carrie Lekowski. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Nut Magazine on every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. It's there, so they're reading it. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. Thank you.